I can't tell you how much my wife and I appreciate being here today. Stan, honey, most beautiful woman in the world. We've been hanging out together for 63 years now, and I think we'll just stay locked together. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. I tell my wife on the way over here, you know, this, I, I've been all over there, and I'm serious about this, the most beautiful place in the world, this area. We would love to be here. Several years ago, we said, when our grandkids get raised, we're going to move back here. Problem is, we've got 13 great-grandkids yeah. now. So, so I think it's going to take a long time. <laughs> Maybe when we're 110, we'll make it back. <laughs> but uh, uh, I just got back from somewhere. How many's been there? <laughs> I don't know where it's at, but I just got back anyway. I just got back from uh, England and, and France last Tuesday and just had a phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal time over there. We were there during the time the terrorist activity going on in in Belgium, and uh, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of insecurity, uncertainty going on in Europe right now. But you know something? The church is on fire. Yes, yes. The church is, is flourishing. The church in France and England, I, I hadn't been to, back to England for five years now, and I visited uh, the churches that we helped plant there about, going back about five or six years ago. And I work with one of the most wonderful black pastors in the world. His name is Samuel Yeo. And he came to France a little over 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I think it was. Started a church in his living room with him and his wife and two children. And that man has seven churches in Paris alone right now. And he has uh, four churches in England, and they're getting ready to start another church. Has a church in Romania, one in Italy. Those, those wonderful black people come from these African countries, and wherever they come, they start a church. And they are just absolutely so hungry. We had, we had hundreds of people come out to the services. The church was just absolutely packed every, every time we met together. And uh, uh, people were healed, and people came to the Lord, and people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and it was just such a wonderful thing to see in the midst of such fear and such concern for the future. And uh, so we need to really appreciate what we have right now. But what we have right now is on shaky grounds in this country. And so we really need to be praying for our nation and praying for this election. Uh, people say, who are you going to vote for? I have no idea. I, I don't know who to vote for. God hasn't spoken to me about that. But uh, I know one thing, we've got to keep our eyes on the kingdom and keep our eyes on eternal things and keep our eyes on what our assignment is. Our assignment is we are occupational forces to enforce the victory that Jesus already has gained. Yeah. That's why you and I are here that's why we're in their service this morning, because Jesus has already won the battle. How many understand that? But, the, but 
His victory is being challenged. His victory is being challenged. And we've already read the book. We know what the end of it is. But we have to remain faithful. Thank God for this faithful church and the faithful pastors you have. I'm wearing one of the suits. I picked up this suit as a mantle from a great man of God a few years ago. This suit used to be worn by Don Schultz. That's right. I don't know whether you remember when I lost all that weight, you gave me some. I'm waiting for you to lose some more weight again so I get some more suits. <laughs> so I don't know whether I'm me or him right now. I'm not, my wife says I'm confused all the time, you know. <laughs> and, and I have selective hearing. Just ask my wife. If I don't want to hear what she says, I say, huh? You know? Sometimes she says, well, you're, you're as ugly as a mud fence. Did you hear that? And I said, yeah. She says, why don't you do something about it then? So, <laughs> well, there's so many people here we love. And uh, uh, I, was, I was so encouraged to see these uh, great men of God here yesterday uh, with their they're part of their family with them, and, and uh, the Lord just spoke something as a postscript just for, just for you men that were here yesterday, and that is your children are a vital part of your own spiritual growth, so bring them along with you. Yeah. Don't take such big steps that they can't step in the steps that you're walking right now. Shorten up your steps so that no matter what age your sons and daughters are, that they can step in your shoes and they'll feel comfortable with it. And you've got to get comfortable with their level of spirituality also because there may be some men here that you have sons and daughters that are more spiritual than you are. And see, to some men that's a threat. But it shouldn't be. That should be our goal, that our children grew up alongside of us, with us, and our, their spirituality may pass us, but that should be the dream of every one of us, because God is raising up great men and women out of this church, yes, out of the children's church, and I'm amazed. Uh, I saw uh, Don's daughter, one of her children, I says, is he the eight, eight-year-old one? She said, no, he's the four-year-old one. I said, what happened to the eight-year-old one? <laughs> you know, they, ju they just grow up so fast here, you know, and here, the next thing you know, your sons and daughters are going to have in their own family, right. and uh, the way you deal with them now is pretty much what they're going to become, and the way you stimulate and encourage them, and be proud of your children. Don't ever let them think that you're not proud of them. Yeah. Always affirm them. Give them words of encouragement. Stimulate them. Recognize who they are. Recognize their talents, their abilities. Listen to their dreams. Listen to their heartbeat. Make sure your heart is beating along with, with the heart that they have for God. Because children have a heart for God that you don't even recognize, perhaps, because you're too busy making a living and becoming successful and, and living out your dreams. Let their dream become your dream now. Amen. And help them achieve that. That's so important uh, as, as parents. Uh, you know, I remember my dad looked up to me one day when I was sitting 
when I was getting ready to sit on his lap because I, I really never heard my dad tell me he loved me when I was a child. And uh, it was right, uh, not until I was 40 years old that I was praying, as pastoring up in Duluth, Minnesota, and praying. And I don't know whether my wife remembers this or not, but I was on my knees before God and I was crying out, Oh, God, we need revival. We need visitation uh, here in this church. And, and, and I somehow felt that there was something in me that was a hindering block. And I cried out, and, and God said, You need to go to apologize to your dad. I said, well, Lord, he needs to apologize to me. And I, I had a little debate with the Lord. How many know he always wins? And I had a little debate with the Lord, and I said, Lord, you know, Dad, really, he's never told me he's proud of me. I mean, I remember us going to visit my parents, and my dad was, was supporting other ministries on TV in those times, you know, and not doing it with us. We just kind of got overlooked for some reason. But that was a good training ground for us because we learned to trust God. But nevertheless, uh, I had some bitterness in my heart against my dad because I'd never heard him say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And <clears throat> so the Lord said, you got to go to your dad. I said, you mean it? He said, yes. He said, you're not, you're not going to see any growth, any prosperity in your ministry until you settle this. So I, I remember I went over to one evening. I said, I've got to go see Dad. She said, what are you going down there for? I said, I, I, need to, I need to make things right with my dad. So I jumped in my car and drove 525 miles that very morning. Went down there. Nobody's in the house but my dad. I got it, walked in there, and I, my dad said, what are you doing here? My dad was 80, 83 years old, at the, 84 years old, I think it was at that time. And I, was, I was about 42, something like that. And I said, Dad, I came, I just, I want to apologize to you. He said, for what? I said, because I've held bitterness in my heart against you because, Dad, you never really told me how much that you love me. You never let me sit on your lap. And you, you never told me you was proud of me. And uh, my dad, my dad didn't weep very easily. But a tear came down. He looked up and said, oh, son, forgive me. I wish I could relive my life again. And I've thought that with my own children. How many thought that? You wish you could relive those, those baby years and those little children years when you were so busy and I was so busy winning the world. I was so busy uh, helping families with their children that, you know, I, I, I had neglected my own. And I, I felt so bad about it. And, I, and my dad looked at me and he said, oh, forgive me. He said, I know, I promised to take you fishing, and I took, uh, we, we had a, a guy by, by the name of Frank, our neighbor. I got to hate Frank because he would take him fishing and not me. And uh, so I said, Dad, and I, I've never sit on your lap. Now, my, my father was a very small man, very small man. And uh, I weighed probably 250, 260 at that time. And Well, he said, come on. And I climbed up my dad's lap. And I heard those wonderful words. Paul, I love you. It's hard for my dad to say that to me. But he did. did two or three times. My dad had a bald head. I mean, bald from here clear back. There wasn't a hair on his head, I think, hardly. 
And uh, I kissed him on the head, and he put his arms around me, and I was on his lap like a little child. I felt like a, I, was so, uh, I was so humiliated, humbled by it, but wonderful humility came into my life. And I just felt this deliverance in my life. I apologized for my bitterness against him and asked him to forgive me. He asked me to forgive him. He told me he loved me. And he put his hand on my head and said, I'm proud of you. And I'll tell you, I needed to hear that. It was like Jesus saying to his son, this is my beloved son and of whom I am well pleased. And I needed to hear that. I needed to hear it in my own life. And so it's time for us to really look at our families and, and see what value they are. What would it profit any man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? His children is his soul. That's the soul of your life. Your whole future is wrapped up in your children. You have no future without your children. And I was thinking of Abraham. This is not my son. How many know Abraham's not preaching yet? Okay, good. So if you're timing me, give him just... Forget about this section of it. I was thinking about uh, Abraham this morning a little bit. And uh, God told Abraham, Abraham that in Isaac, he would be the seed. In you, my seed will be. And you're going to be the one to inherit everything. And Isaac had to make a, excuse me, uh, Abraham had to make a big decision about releasing his youngest son, Ishmael. And then in, in, in Genesis chapter 22, the Bible says, I want you to do something special now, Abraham. I want you to take your son, your only son. I want you to take your son, your only son. I want you to take him up on a mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. That'd be quite a test, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. The Bible says that Abraham obeyed God, and he saddled up a donkey, took his servants with him, gathered up the, fire, the, the, the wood to make a fire, put it on the donkey, and they went up on the mountain. I can't remember my day's journey, I think three days' journey. Then he left his servants a certain place, and he took the son with him, and the two of them climbed up on that mountain. I've often wondered what was going on in the mind of, of Isaac. What's, what's this all about? He gets up on there and he sees his father build an altar, and lay the wood on the altar. He turned to his son and he said, Dad, I see here this altar and I see the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And at that moment, he picked up his son and lays him on the altar. Now, we see photos or, or pictures have been painted of an of a, a eight or nine-year-old boy, but I want you to know that he was a, almost a 20-year-old boy. He climbed up there on the sacrifice and looked in the eyes of his dad and says, Dad, I trust you. Dad, I trust you. I can imagine Abraham looked at his son and said, God, I tr I've got to trust you. And it, it, it's not recorded until the New Testament. 
But in a moment he realized if he did plunge the knife into his son's chest and offer him as a sacrifice or slit his throat, God was able to raise him from the dead. And if you'll give your children to the Lord, right now some of you have children that are not walking with God, but it's not too late to give them. If you've never given your children to the Lord, do it now, because God is able to raise them from the dead. I'm talking about your children that maybe are dead in trespasses and sins. If you give them to the Lord, I, I just feel so impressed to say this. If you, if you for maybe for the first time, maybe you came to the Lord later in the years when your children were small and you didn't raise them as you should have and you never invested in them, didn't really see the need of them walking with God. And now you suddenly see it and you say it's too late. No, it's not too late for you to build an altar, make room for a sacrifice, and spiritually in your heart, by faith, lay those children on that altar. Say, okay, God, I should have done it 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but I'm doing it right now. And I believe, Lord, if I give them to you and you consume them as a sacrifice, you're able to raise them from the dead. How many believe that this morning, that God can do that? And I want you to know that if you're a son here this morning or a daughter that's been trying to escape the rules and regulations of mom and dad and, and you didn't want the religion of mom and dad and so you've gone off and tried to find something else. I want to tell you something, you're in trouble. Amen. Because your parents love you and they're going to give you back to the Lord. And the Lord's going to raise you from the dead. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Father, I just pray for every father here, every mother here right now. I thank you for their children, their sons and their daughters. There's hearts of mothers here that have been broken, crushed, because they've seen their children in situations that they never planned they'd be in. But, oh, God, we thank you for that you can redeem. You can redeem anything, Lord. You can restore. And I ask you for restoration. I ask you for restoration in relationships, family relationships, where the devil has driven a wedge in between people, Lord. Oh, Father, we just pray right now that you'll speak to the hearts of those that need to be reconciled. Bring reconciliation in every family, we pray in Jesus' name. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 66. And the Lord's going to help me preach a short sermon this morning. (laughs) Isaiah 66, I want to read verse 1 and verse 2. I want to talk to you about the subject of serving a special needs God. We hear so much about people having special needs and God meeting special needs. And all of us have quoted Philippians 4.19, 
it's probably a worn out verse almost. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But I'd like to ask you to reverse that. Is it possible that God has needs? That God has special needs that cannot be met by angels and the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Ghost cannot be met either by Jesus the Son or by the Holy Spirit. Is there needs that God has that perhaps we've never considered so we can say, quote it like this, Don Schultz can meet the needs according to the grace that God has given to him to meet our Heavenly Father's needs. He wants you to know that he has needs that only you as human beings can meet. So listen to these verses. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you personalize this? Put your name right in there. God is wanting you to build, to restructure a house for him. This God has long enough legs that he can sit on the throne in heaven and reach the earth and the earth's his footstool. This God that can create anything he wanted to, he still is creator. He never quit creating. Any dream, any goal, anything that the Lord would desire to have, he can provide it. And yet he says, where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest. God wants to land. God wants you to develop a landing pad for him in your life. Think of it. God desires a place to land. He's looking for a house he can dwell in. God has needs. You see, in the eternities of the past, I cannot possibly fathom what was going on for the billions of years in eternity past, with the exception that I read the scriptures. And I've discovered in John chapter 17, Jesus says this several ways, several times, he said, Father, in this, this last final prayer that he prayers before he's going to go to the, uh, to the, get ready to go to the cross, the process of the cross. We know that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this, this is really the Lord's Prayer. Yes, it is. The one that we think is the Lord's Prayer is a prayer he designed for us to pray. This, this is the Lord's Prayer. He said, Father, I want to thank you for those that you gave me. People say, well, how did Jesus know what apostle to choose? Well, the Father gave him to him. 
All 12 of them were given to him. And he's mainly concerned about that small nucleus of 12 people right at the moment and the other disciples that were gathered because of them. But he said, I, I want to thank you, Father, that you gave them to me. And I want you to know, Father, that I've kept them by your word and none of them has been lost except one. Jesus knows how to count. The Lord knows who's those that are his. He knows every detail about your life. You can't escape it. But then he goes on, and, and about five or six times in John 17, Jesus says, I want them to be one just like we are one. I want a spiritual dynamic merging to take place so that they come into the same inner circle that we have had before the foundation of the world. Isn't it unbelievable that he would want to draw us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would want to, to merge us together in the inner circle. Now, Jesus had an inner circle of three people. Remember that? Peter, James, and John. They, he took them, placed it, and taken. It. It's not a matter of partiality. In the wisdom of, of God, he makes decisions that we don't understand. So he drew them into the inner circle. But now Jesus is saying, I want to expand that. I want everyone that is going to believe in you because the gospel has been preached. I want every one of them now to be merged in, brought into this inner circle with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally. Quit thinking of heaven as being a place that's an eternal golf course or a place where every deer you see has got 24 horns. <laughs> or every fish weighs 30 pounds. People think that earthly life is going to be the same. It's going to be transferred. No, you're the only body that's going there. You're not going to take any baggage with you. Heaven's going to be totally different than what you think. But I know one thing. God wants to draw you into this inner circle. That was the prayer of Jesus, I believe, is going to be answered. I am believing that there's not one person that's in this circle inside this building is going to escape it. You're not going to miss it. You're going to be drawn into that inner circle of oneness with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And the key to it is to understand this. Jesus, he finalized it by saying this. Father... I want to draw them into this circle of love because you loved me before the foundation of the earth. Think of it. What kind of relationship was going on in the eternities of the past, in the Godhead? This indescribable, irresistible love relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now he's making us the offer that we can be drawn into the Godhead and become one with Him. That's beyond 
my ability to absorb totally. But I know this, that is true. Because the word of God teaches it is true. So as I begin to meditate upon this, I thought of, of God in creation. When God created everything that was going to be created, with the exception of man himself, God looked at it, and he said it's good. The word good means beautiful, acceptable, perfect in its state, nothing left out, nothing left out of the design, no, no leftover parts. God didn't put, forget to put something that should be there. Everything was good, but it wasn't good enough. I mean, why couldn't God be happy with the dinosaurs and all the, all the, even all the animals that no longer exist any longer. The earth is not like it was in creation. I mean, all the beauty, the, the absolute gorgeous wild flowers and vegetation. Everything God, God said, it is good. It's, it's complete. But it wasn't good enough. God said, let us make man. And he's going to be such a unique creature that he's going to be almost identical to us. Let us make man. Let us make him in our own image and in our likeness. So there's something about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in creation. And by creation, every human being is the offspring of God. Not by recreation. We, need, we must have a new birth because sin came into the world. But think of it. God put himself into every human being. You know why? Because the Godhead said it's not enough to have all these beautiful animals and birds and wildlife and flowers and aquatic life and the expanses of outer space that we have no, hardly any knowledge of. We know more about our space than we do oceanography. It's just not quite enough. Because, see, God wanted a family. So God created Adam and Eve with an ability to procreate. He said, now I want you to fill the earth. I want you to be fruitful and fill the earth with, with children. I want babies. I want more babies. I want more babies. So the Adam family started having children, and they had two to begin with. Because God needed children. He wanted fellowship. He wanted a house full. I remember one time I saw, I used to paint, 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 be a painter, paint pictures and so forth. I saw a painting one time of this house that had 24 windows in it and there was a, a, a kid sticking out of every one of them. I thought, that's God. He wants his house to be filled with children. He wants more. He's never satisfied. I, I was thinking of, of a scripture I think I need to read right now. It's found in... It's found in uh, Ezekiel, 
Let's see, is it Ezekiel 16? Just a minute, please. Ezekiel 16, listen to this. Verse 20, Israel had gone into such apostasy, such idolatry, that they were offering their sons and daughters as human sacrifices. I was in Liberia in November, and human sacrifice is going on every month there as a part of pagan life among the tribal people. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters who you bore to me. And you sacrificed them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter? Now I could take you through many scriptures showing you that every child that's born, God claims them for himself. They're his. So every parent in this place this morning, you're raising your children because God needs them. What does God need? The number one thing that God wants, he wants your children. Think of it. Your children belong to God. Amen. They bear your name, but they bear his imprint. That's right. They bear his image, his likeness. And so giving your children to God... Don't give them over to the world. Don't give them over to the devil. Don't ever accept what they say when they're in the state of trying to find themselves. And, and, and they, they're out from underneath your rule right now. And, and all, everything that you've taught them is being challenged. They're taught in the schools that they're nothing but a, a, a relative of, an, of a monkey, an animal, that that you evolved here, that there's no greater, higher power. And, but you see, that's all going to be tested. But God still needs his children. Hallelujah. God says, I want to have pleasure in you. See, everything God created, he created for his pleasure. He wants you to enjoy what he created for his pleasure. He shares it with you. So God is working in us now according to his good pleasure. How many know God's working in you? Amen. You may say, well, I'm not where I should be with God. You're right where you should be with God because God is still working you according to his good pleasure despite maybe your rebellion, your disobedience, or your lack of cooperation. He never quits working in you. We must never deny the grace that brought us to the place where the scripture says, for we are, by grace, we are saved, and now we are his work Ship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which now he wants us to walk in them. 
You're never going to escape God. He's going to torment you until you bow. And those people that refuse to bow, they're going to bow anyway. Every knee's going to bow to him and declare he's what? He's Lord. The glory of God. So God has needs. He, he, wants to, he needs to make you complete in every good work. His intention is to make you complete in every good work. He, he, needs, he, want, he wants whatever he started to be a finished project. I could take you out to my shop, and I got all kinds of stuff, halfway done, three-quarters of the way done, just started, and I, I get excited about something new. I see, oh, i got to make something like that, so I put this aside. God doesn't do that. See, he's very artistic, but he doesn't sign anything until it's completed. And he's going to complete Aren't you glad that Paul said in Philippians, he that's begun a good work is not going to throw your side and end up in some treasure shop someplace where the devil can bid on you. No, he that began a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But God has needs he needs a place of rest. Listen to what this word. I, I, I tried to understand for many years, why would God, need, does he run out of energy? I mean, does he have an eight-day schedule, an eight-hour schedule, and the ninth there, he's just so exhausted. I, I got to get to bed. No, the Bible you know, the Bible says, well, he never slumbers or sleeps, you know. So if, if he don't need rest, why would he say, I want, I'm looking for a place of rest. This word rest comes from the Hebrew word manusha. Manusha, which means a place of stillness. It means of consolation of repose, of peace, of soothe, of comfort, a place to settle down in and to enjoy my accomplishments. God didn't rest the seventh day so he could just take a nap and forget about everything. No, he took time to stand back the Reesgraf Construction Company had just added an addition to the house. The last brush of paint has been put on. And now you start taking photographs. And you start appreciating, hey, you know, it's not out of plumb. It's actually square. You know. You get inside, the refrigerator's not like this. You can't put anything onto it, you know. The cabinets are hanged properly. And you take pictures of all this, and you begin to advertise. This is what we can do. That's what God did. He, he sits back and looks at us. Look what I can do if you let me do it. Praise the Lord. See, he's somewhere, somehow he's got your photograph in his gallery. <laughs> I like to think 
while I'm sleeping, God is up there just looking at his photo gallery, and he said, oh, there's Paul Tucker. I remember when I started working on him in his mother's womb, and oh, I, I'm so proud of Paul. You know, this is not, this is not boasting in yourself. I'm talking about God. Look at that little baby right there. Isn't that baby beautiful? That mother would lay down her life for that baby. She's so proud of that baby. She says, I don't care how good looking your kids is. It doesn't compare to mine. God looks in his gallery. He sees your face. He can hardly wait till you're brought into that intimate, eternal oneness with Him, which I don't understand. I just know it's real. I know He longs for it. He needs it. He can hardly wait for it. He, Jesus is waiting to connect completely, totally, eternally with His bride. He says, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. I love you. Come on, lift your hands and say, thank you. God has needs. God needs your love. Now we think of it as a commandment. What's the greatest and greatest commandment of all the commandments of the earth? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and love. <laughs> yeah, that's a command, so I gotta do it. I know if I don't, he's gonna send me to hell. I know he's just about ready to pour his wrath out on me if I don't show my no. God wants voluntary. You know what's kept my wife and I together? We've argued like you have. She's hurt me. I've hurt her. It's love. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about puppy love. I'm not talking about just affection. I'm talking about love. It's indescribable how much God loves you. But love keeps together, but it has to be voluntary. It's not, I love you because there's something you got I want. Wow, she's beautiful. Oh, if I can have a night with her. No, that won't, that'll never satisfy. Oh, he's so handsome. So handsome. He's everything I need, everything I want. Until she starts washing your dirty underwear and everything else. God loves you. But he wants, he needs. God's saying this because he don't want you to have, in the case of Israel, they fell in love with the, with the gods of all the pagan nations. They literally, God said, you became worse than a harlot because a, a harlot demands you pay her. He said, you paid your lovers to love you. For you to love them. God wants your love. Not just a little part of you, he wants it all. First church addresses in Revelation, I've got something against you. You've left, not lost, 
you left. You voluntarily, by choice, you left your first love. How many know God needs your love? Wouldn't you just lift your hands and say, Almighty God, I love you. I love you by choice. Jesus, I love you. He needs to hear that every day. God needs your love. Something else God needs. He actually begs you for it. You mean God appeals? God pleads? God prays? That's what the word, I beseech you. That's what the word beseech. Look it up in, in the Greek. It means I pray to you. I appeal to you. I long for something for you. I beg you, please. Give me your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto me, which is your reasonable worship. Imagine, he don't want just our hands, our voice, our whole body is designed to worship God. Think of it. Everything Jesus did, he did in a body that had been prepared for him. Everything. Everything he did came out of his mouth, came out of his mind, came out of his hands, came out of his feet. It all, virtue came out of his body. Now, God wants your body. Because he wants a dwelling place, a house on this earth. God does visit the earth periodically. You know, when I go to Florida or someplace else, my wife used to be, she thought Motel 6 was pretty decent. But those beds wore out 30 years ago. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. She wants something better than that. She wants something decent to sleep in. Something de so every place we go, we have to have a place that becomes our temporary residence. See, God's not just looking for a temporary place to spend the night. He's not just passing through from family to family. He wants a permanent dwelling place. And so he appeals. This is not Paul appealing. This is the heart of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, give to me, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It means to invite, call near, call for, implore, pray. Can you just hear God? Oh, oh, what a, what a beautiful, what a beautiful creature I've made there. I just wish they'd invite. I mean, no, this is your home. This is where you live for the time on this earth. Your body right now is designed for earth's sphere. It would be designed in the resurrection for heavenly sphere. Unlimited. But right now it's limited. So you can choose what comes in and what goes out. God said, in that body that you're in right now, in a temporary condition, in the such condition it is in, in a mortal body, I want to dwell in a mortal body. I need it. 
That's why taking care of our body is so important. I, I wish I had understood this 50 years ago. I mean that seriously. We beat our body up. We neglect it. We don't respect it. We don't honor it. Some people think they're ugly. They look in the mirror and they say, I hate you. I don't like you. God designed you. I want to say this. There's not one ugly woman in this place. I tell every woman I meet with my wife's approval, you're beautiful. <laughs> I said, you're, you're the most beautiful woman I know except one. I make it very clear. I have, I have women come to me. I don't even care a picture of my wife. It's so sacred. I don't share with anybody. They say, why don't you bring a picture? I want to see what you're like. I said, there's no way to describe her. She looks a little bit like you, but <laughs> you just can't match up. <laughs> God looks at every woman here and says, you're absolutely gorgeous. You're absolutely beautiful. And there's some guy whose eyes are not just blind. They're in such a blur. They're going to look at you and say, wow, you are beautiful. Somebody else might not be so beautiful. But you're beautiful. Every man here, God wants so much to become a part of you and you a part of him that he says, I want your body. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 that God performed unique, special miracles by the hands of of Paul, from his body, was taken. I mean, they stripped him down, cut up pieces of his, his apron, the apron that he used to cut leather, to build tents. His apron, his handkerchief, his sweatband is really what it means. He took... His sweatband. I remember one time in Europe, a man came up to me and, and he, I said, what do you want? I, I'd used my handkerchief to blow my nose, to spit in, to wipe the sweat off. He said, I want your handkerchief. I said, what do you want it for? He said, for seven years I've had a severe case of insomnia. I've never slept a night in seven years. This is the absolute truth. I said, what do you want this handkerchief? I said, this thing is nasty. He said, I don't care how nasty it is. I've got to have your hand. He grabbed it. I said, wait a minute, that's my handkerchief. I was playing a game with him. He said, I want to take it and lay it on my head tonight when I go to bed. Because I'm going to sleep. I had preached from Acts chapter 20. He took it literal. Next night, I came to that service. Came to that service. And here was this man waiting for the door to be opened. And my spiritual son, William Jute, was there and interpreting. And he said, you're early. He said, he said, I just had to tell you what happened. He said, I went home last night. He said, I put that handkerchief on. He said, I slept like a baby. Well, I said, I want my handkerchief back. I said, where is it? He said, I gave it to my wife. She wants it now for tonight. You see, from our body, everything that you do in life 
involves your body. God wants it. He wants it to be kept pure. He doesn't want you messing around with immorality. Because every other sin, except that, you're not totally got your whole body involved. But that sin, your body becomes involved. And it becomes destructive to you. God wants and needs your continual praise. God wants and needs your continual worship. See, John, in John's gospel, Jesus told the woman, you don't know who you worship, you don't know what you worship. We Jews, we know who we worship. God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then he adds this to it, for such the Father seeks. Isn't it wonderful to be a part of a church where you actually worship? Do, do you really appreciate that? Where you act, I love the old hymns. I think we need to incorporate them and remind ourselves. The old hymns, they had good theology in them, and they was wonderful. But, it, but there's something about when you just get involved yourself and you kind of get lost in worshiping him. And it don't have to be in church, but we need this time together. God is so pleased when he can dwell in the praises. That's one of his resting places. That's so soothing to the heart of God because God hears so much irreverence from the voice of his creation. People that use his name in vain. You see, reverent and holy is his name. You see, in heaven, you're going to hear the name holy probably more than any other name or any other word in the vocabulary of all the nations of the earth because the Bible says there's, there's massive groups of angels that are crying what? Holy. Not just holy, but holy, holy. Not just holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy. That's the language of heaven. The holiness of God. And God longs for and loves the worship of his people. I've been places where people have come, actually come to me and said, why is it that we have such long song services? Why don't we get to the meat of the word? Well, if you worship God, it creates a hunger in your heart. I mean, no, it's hard to eat. That cheese sandwich, if you're not really hungry. You know, we like the potatoes and gravy and green beans and tea, prime rib. We actually had a prime rib the other night that my wife took a photograph of it and sent to my son. I'm serious. It was not a prime rib steak. It was a complete, what, what am I trying to say? A complete roast. I'm serious. I don't think I'm, it was that long, that tall, and about that wide. And my son sent back and said, wow, 
If you want to know, I can tell you where to go. <laughs> Hallelujah. But see, worship, when we really worship him, it creates a vacuum in our life that can only be filled then by the word of God. You look in the accounts and scriptures when people actually took time to build an altar and worship. Almost immediately they heard the voice of God. You want to hear the word, the voice of God, just quit begging and start worshiping. Just worshiping. And all at once your ears are going to be opened up and you can hear the voice of God because God, he's not just the guy upstairs. He's not just the man upstairs. You know something that irks me? There might even be some people here guilty of it. Please forgive me. I hate to hear people say, oh, geez. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. You know what that is? It's a cliche. But it's more than a cliche. It's an irreverent way to make Jesus' name into a slight curse word. And we need to break ourselves these things because we need to realize that he is so reverent, so awesome. He's indescribable. We don't have a vocabulary to honor him like we should. How many believe we should honor him? Holy and reverent is his name. I could go on and on and on. I want to just remind you of something else right now. Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, need your fellowship. That we think in terms, I so need God. I need him in that room where I've just heard the word. My son, my daughter, my wife, my father has cancer. We need his fellowship. We want his fellowship when our loved one is in their deathbed and finally we hear the words that they have gone to sleep. They've expired, they died. Oh, how we, we, like, to, we like to quote, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But will we ever need, leave and forsake him? See, John tells us in 1 John that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. It's not God is just fellowshipping. His fellowship is with us and his Son and the Holy Spirit. But our fellowship is, we, may, we take the initiative. Do you hear me? We need to stop what we're doing and take the initiative to have fellowship with him. That means you've got to give him your loyal attention. And, and it's so easy to be caught up. I, I understand, and, and don't say this in any way critically, but I understand you're struggling to make a living. You, you're, you're exhausted from the labor of the day. And you've got so many demands upon your life that you can't even describe, you can't even tell people how, you're, how busy you are. It's not a complaint. I'm busier now at 81 than I was at 40 years old. I'm not complaining about that. But telephone calls, there's just so much going on that we have to take the initiative 
to have fellowship with the Father. You know, I've been going to France now for almost 40 years and only missed a few years. And I've spent the last 30 years of those with one of my sons over there, William Jute, staying there at home almost every time I go there. There's one thing I admire about William and his wife. He is up every morning. I'm an early riser. He's up absolutely. I've never seen him miss it. I'm not saying this is your pattern, your lifestyle should be, but he's up absolutely every morning. The first thing he does, he gets out his Bible, and he's got these little daily, what do you call them? Uh, help me. Yes. And, and he's up, he's, he's in the Word, and, and he'll just he'll say, hallelujah, hallelujah, and then he'll pray a little bit. And, and, and I've seen this pattern in his life, and I so respect that, because he gives him his loyal attention. Now, you all can't do that. But you can stop wherever you're doing and give him a few seconds. Say, Father, I, ju- I just can't, I can't go on the day without having some fellowship with you. I, I just can't do it. I- I- I've just got to have a sense of your presence right now. I want your presence with... Now, we know that he's always there, but how many know there's a difference between his presence and his manifested presence? Yes. And we want to invite his manifested presence into our life every day. And so we need to give him at least a portion of our time. And I've discovered myself, I can get caught up in TV. I, it's easy to spend three or four hours in TV and not give him 15 minutes a day. I'm, I've been, I, I promise you, I've been guilty of that. And we have to periodically break that habit because how many know you're eternal? They're not going to have TVs in heaven, I don't believe. I believe that God's going to have a communication system that's far beyond anything that you can see. You talk about technology. You're going to have technology in heaven that's beyond anything that you've ever seen here on this earth or ever will exist on this earth. Your resources. How's one of the ways that we can honor God? Book of Proverbs says, Honor the Lord with the first fruits. The first fruits of your increase. This is one practical way to honor God. You're not, not to give to Paul Tucker, or give to Bible Center Church. These are all channels to distribute what God gives to bless humanity with and bless the world with. But to honor God, just think, we can give him the first egg. I remember my grandmother was poor as a church mouse. But when the chickens would lay eggs, she wouldn't wait to Sunday. She took the first egg and put it in the basket, and that went to the preacher. They didn't have money to give, so I went to the preacher next Sunday in Bethel Methodist Church. She, she would go out and, and pick vegetables, and she took the first ones and put it in the basket along with the chicken egg, and that would be part of her offering. And if you start out with pennies, it'll be no difficulty. How many would like to be a millionaire like I am? (laughs) 
Well, if you start out with pennies, it won't be difficult when you're he handling dollars, $100 bills, thousand millions. You see, the reason a lot of us don't have millions is because we can't handle the pennies. We can't honor God. And there's no limit to what God will do for you and with you if you honor Him. How many want to honor Him this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Let's stand together this morning. I did it, Don. I did it. It's only 11.15. Wow, that's, one of the, that's a miracle that came out of my body. Hallelujah. I'm a recruiter for Jesus. I'm a recruiter for the army of God. I'm recruiting people. God wants your talents. He wants everything you have. He wants you to be willing to bring it right up here and say, okay, here it is, Lord. We'll come and get it later, but you can get it to him right now. No, he wants you. He wants, he desires an intimate relationship that is totally impossible for me to describe. In my weakness, I've tried to Describe just a little bit of it this morning. But if that's what you really desire in your heart, you want a relationship that's designed not on earth but in heaven. It's totally, there's nothing on earth that's equal to it. You have to see that heaven was opened. You see, when Jesus was baptized, Heaven was opened for the first time for 600 years. Think of it. That's right. No voice, yep. no visitations, no angels, nothing until heaven was open. Yep. But on the day of Pentecost, heaven was released. Yep. The river of God, which was prophesied going clear back to Genesis in those four rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden, that was released on the day of Pentecost. And heaven now has been not only opened, but there's a flowing out yes. into your life and creating a river, yes. a rivers of life-giving water flowing through every one of you. No matter what your occupation is, where you are, out of where you are, that's where your ministry is going to begin to flow. That's right. That's right. That's right. Don't have to change locations occupations, find a different marketplace, just let it flow out of That's where it. you're at right That's now. It. That's it. So, Father, oh, Father, I thank you for your people. And I just want to say, if there's anyone here right now that you want to rededicate your children, I invite you to come and do that. Make a big deal of it. Make a public thing of it. I'm coming, and I'm saying, Lord, I shouldn't have done this 20 or 30 years ago. I've got grandkids, great-grandkids, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to really give my children back to God. If you want to come, I'll stand here and pray with you. Anybody that wants prayer for anything, if you just want to come and say, Lord, I want to be a need meter for my Creator. Yes. Yes. Come on. I want to be a need meter for my creator. Yeah.
I want to meet your needs, God. I'm here to tell you, I'm going to give you what you need. So, Father, I thank you for it. Let your blessing be upon your people as they leave. And they begin this fresh journey for this next week, Lord. I thank you that they're going to walk in the knowledge of the presence of Jesus. They're going to walk in the power of God. They're going to walk as you walked. You give us all these opportunities to walk exactly like you walked. Yes, yes, Lord. Lord, we want to walk like you walked on this earth. So, Jesus, we thank you for your beautiful people this morning. We bless them. Help everyone in every struggle that they have in their life. Every situation that seems to be out of control. Situations that they cannot handle themselves. Lord Jesus, we know within this ocean of your grace, there is a supply of the Spirit. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, Lord, a supply. Lord, we release the supply of the Spirit to every family here, Lord, in whatever struggles they may be going through. Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bible Center Church. For more information, you can find us online at www.biblectr.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash biblectr.